This week, we have John Sequera, developer on the .NET team, and Kathleen Dollard, PM on the .NET team. How's it going, you two? Uh, it's going great today. Yeah, thank you for coming on here. Okay, so we're going to jump into the news. We have a couple quick stories. So, Carl, the first one here is company forced to change name that could be used to hack websites. I, I just saw this, and I, I thought it was awesome. So, there was a company, I believe it was in uh, Britain, that uh, its company's name was Double Quote end angle bracket and then it had an html script tag with the source equals i'm just gonna breeze right through it mgt.xss.ht and then lidded um which uh if software didn't parse that properly it would uh, look like it was kind of a, a blank tag and it would download whatever was at that url that's linked in this case it was um a harmless script, but it could very well be something, um, you know, harmful. So, mm-hmm. you know, they had uh, been forced to change their name uh, for this, but it does point out, you know, just how uh, technology and non-technological things interacting can have uh, interesting side effects. Yeah, it's like every month we have a story like that. There was the license plate that was null. And even this mentions too that somebody had a company name called um, semicolon drop table companies semicolon, <laughs> which I thought was uh, I thought was uh, pretty pretty clever. So, and then there was obviously the XKCD comic uh, little little Bobby table. So, um, very cool. Um, let's see here. We got C sharp console Tetris, and we thought that you two would appreciate this as well. Yeah. So uh, this right here is a GitHub. Uh, repository that has uh, a command line project written in C sharp. I think it's even all one file pretty much where all the logic is that has a pretty robust version of Tetris. Now it doesn't do certain things like it doesn't speed up over time or whatever, but it is pretty legit. Um, And it didn't take much to get up and going. Uh, And I actually have uh, used that to, you know, kill some time in between meetings or, you know, give myself a little day break. So um, it's always fun when you run across some of these little projects like this. And if you're looking at building any kind of application that or, or game that's in a console, this could be a good thing to look at and just see how it's done and see how you might uh, tackle that same problem. Yeah, there were some assembly attributes that I had to remove. Uh, but other than that, it just compiled right out of the gate. So figured you two would, would appreciate this as a sophisticated uh, command line uh, program. (laughs) I I have not heard of that before and I'm wondering what, what rendering they're using. And so, uh, and what, um, uh, and if they're not at core, whether they run on all the platforms uh, and all that goes smoothly. Cause we, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways to go wrong with this. So if they did it well, I'm impressed. Uh, I don't know, John, have you seen it? I haven't seen it. And I, I, my, my first question immediately is, does it work in a virtual terminal? Yeah, yeah. There's all sorts of things like the the nuances and the side cases of what people want to do with terminals make it really super interesting. So it's a space that we've we've been working in, and so uh, I can't wait to take a look at it. But I have not seen it yet, and it's fascinating. Yeah, it looks like they're just using console.write lines, and that's basically how they're doing everything. So I think well, it I think like, it should run anywhere. Yeah, yeah. It'd be uh, yeah, super interesting. Cool. Um, and then our next story here, we have a whole bunch of uh, Linux command one-liners. Yeah, I mean, I I saw this and I immediately, you know, it's the clickbaity thing that makes me want to go look at it. And there are a few things, uh, one-liners in here that, you know, maybe aren't as applicable for everybody. But I definitely 
looked at some of this and learned a few things, uh, especially like in Linux, if you run a command and, you know, it says that you don't have permissions and you need to do a super user do before it, there's actually a way to do that, which is a shortcut for run the last command as root. So a pseudo space, uh, two exclamation points. Mm. And I thought that was just really cool. Oh, I didn't even know that. That's hilarious. You know, as I'm looking at this page, like there's tons of useful stuff here and they're all described, right? They all have a description. I'm surprised nobody has built, and maybe they have, a command line tool that basically lets you um, search for these things. You know, so if there's something you want to do, you could just search for it and it would like give you a list of these actions and then you could pick the action and it would just put the command line in for you. That sounds like a that sounds like a great tool. Somebody could build that as a as a .NET tool if they wanted to, but they yeah. might want to do it in a way that was uh, did not require .NET on the machine. Uh, and .NET tools do require that you have uh, .NET on the machine. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's just my my contribution to the world. Maybe somebody will actually write that. One of our listeners will. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. And then uh, the next one here: side by side dev fonts. Yeah, so I know a lot of people really like to geek out on what their developer fonts and even terminal fonts are, uh, especially when you you know start including things like does it have ligatures or not. And uh, what I thought was really cool about this is it wasn't just a page that collected like what a bunch of them are, but it has code that's written out in each one, and you can kind of click the plus uh, next to each one to add to compare. Um, if you see a few that you like, and then you can flip the switch at top and it'll get the rest out of the way. So you can, you know, just compare the, uh, developer fonts that you're interested in, uh, right next to each other. Um, you know, if you're kind of looking at new ones or you're just want to change out what you're looking, uh, what you already have installed. So, um, I thought it was really useful for checking out some of the ones that I wasn't as familiar with, uh, just to see, you know, how does it compare to the ones that I already use uh, daily? I was hoping whenever you did the compare that they would like switch them on, like on top of each other so I could see the difference. Because I'm looking at like Cascadia code and Fira code and they sure oh, look close. where they like overlap is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. But look at like line four. I mean, there's a, a difference Ligature, in yeah. greater than an equal. Yeah. You know, one has a, a flat equal, one has a slanted equal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool. I just don't, I normally just don't pay much attention to this, but um, it's now, this is a good way to compare them. So that's pretty cool. And then this last story is really fun. It's uh, email a dumpster fire. Yeah, um, this is definitely kind of the least, um, you know, technical, but definitely techie. Um, you can email dumpsterfire at hey.com. And as long as it's, uh, you know, it's kind of PG-13 rules apply. They will print it out, put it on a conveyor, and actually have it drop into a dumpster fire. Mm. And it's all automated. Yep. It's all automated. There's a webcam. It runs uh, 12 hours a day. So um, you can actually um, send them an email. And when yours actually gets through, because I'm sure there's they have a pretty lengthy queue, they will actually let you know that it's been burnt and uh, give you a link to a video clip. Yeah, that was the coolest part because I jumped in the chat. So I sent an MS Dev Show email to it. I jumped in the chat and I said, hey, like, how how do I know, you know, is mine coming up? Because I was like watching each one. And then if you do exclamation when, it will tell you how many are in the queue in front of you. So there are 17,000 emails in front of us right now. So it's going to be a while. But that's when they said that they would email the video, which is I think is awesome because I don't want to miss that for sure. 
Yeah. So considering this has been kind of a, you know, a stressful year for most people, you know, it's a nice way to like, if you have something that's just kind of on your case, you can kind of draft an email, get it out there and, you know, watch whatever is stressing you out, get burnt. Mm -hmm. Nice little way to be, uh, you know, cathartic about that. Mm -hmm. And for anybody that is concerned, um, about just having fire and stuff like that, they are offsetting their, uh, CO2. Uh, by a factor of 3x. So whatever they figure that they're using to maintain a dumpster fire, they're offsetting those carbons. Okay. <laughs> so I, I wonder how many of those 17,000 in front of you are just a great big text of 2020. <laughs> well, the last one was actually like a scene from Star Wars because, of course, I've been watching it the whole time. And sometimes some people are just doing uh on the whole screen. Um, I saw some uh, ASCII art, but it did not uh, it did not go through well. Um, what else did I see on there? I don't know. Did you, did you see some Carl? Uh, I haven't been paying as much attention to, you know, what's been actually printed. I just more entranced by the flames. Cause they do have like a, a sheet of glass over the dumpster. So you can kind of see the fire and smoke from the inside. I just realized that wherever it's at, it's raining cause water falls every once in a while off of the, off of the roof of the shed that they have there. Okay. Here's the next email. Oh, it's a picture. It's a picture of a website. I can't see what it is though. So, and it's pretty cool. Cause yeah, the, the fire, it's all, it, the fire kicks up, it prints and then it goes on the conveyor belt and it, it works pretty well. So I'd like to see the technical details of how they did that. Yeah. That's a, that's a great, that's a great fun idea. We need that at Microsoft. Okay. So, oh wait, there's a person in there now. Exciting. Something, something, yeah, real person. Ah, they all see the, the email jammed. So I think they have somebody there like full time just watching it, which makes sense because you don't want to like, you know, start a giant fire or anything. I'm like, what is their business model? (laughs) Well, it's hey.com, right? So it's, it's like that DHH company, like they're, they're trying to sell their email service is what's going on. So, so this is a, uh, so this is a publicity stunt, which is great. Yeah. 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 Yeah, 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 totally, totally. Okay, well, I want to make sure we have lots of time to talk about yeah. system.commandline. So All right. why don't we start with, uh, what is it? <laughs> All right, so uh, since John and I have a little bit different perspectives, uh, you know, I'm me thinking about the PM and him thinking about the um, the technical side, I'm going to give an answer and then I'm going to let him go deeper uh, into it. So uh, the top level thing is that uh, we uh, needed a parser for uh for dotnet tools is what inspired me on it is so we needed a parser there we also knew we had a weak parser in the dotnet core cli and a weaker parser in dotnet uh, core templating so i have that's all spaces i work in so i very much wanted to see a parser uh, i was very frustrated by what was available looked around checked everything out could not find anything that did what i wanted and was uh wanting to john who said uh somebody had sent me to him as an expert and he said well he said, we really should redo this. We really should write a proper parser. And so that was inspiring. was ins- the inspiration. And then going along, we found that because of help, we really need to dip our toes into rendering. And we'll talk probably more about you know, some of the differences between the two. But that's how we got where we are. So it's system command line is at core um, a parser we are extremely proud of. Uh, we can talk about some of the th- reasons we're very, very proud of. But we think it's a very, very good parser. Um, and it sounds like a small thing and everybody's written a parser, but writing a parser really well is really hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, and John can talk a little bit about the lineage and the fact that this is not, 
this is not our first time doing this. It's my first time doing it, but it's not John's first time. So that gives us just a high level view of what it what it is. And John can go a little bit deeper and maybe into some of the reasons it is special. Well, and, and specifically, like whenever you so whenever somebody creates a command line tool and they need to get parameters in there, yeah. um, you know, they you end up like you're you're just like, okay, well, how do I do this and how do I support different formats of, of parameter names and, and things like, like that. That's a problem that everybody runs into. And it looks like yes. this makes that really easy. It does. And and when you look at doing that, you will succeed. You will have a way that for your test, you will get your data in there. Okay. However, it's probably not going to be fully POSIX compliant. There's a ton of ways people expect to be able to work and you're sure not going to have tab completion and you may not have help. And so these things add up to this, you know, writing a tiny little, just take the first value after, you know, the uh, executable name and stuff it in. Okay, so you just do that. It's pretty simple. But as soon as you start getting more complex, you have um, uh, options that have um, that have values that may be associated with more not. So, and that's as simple as something that's just a true-false, where the presence of the switch means true. But if you want to set it to false, then you want to allow either dash dash switch name space false or dash dash switch name equals false and then you've got all these variations mm-hmm. that come into play and then you have the fact it needs an alias you want an alias for it so you can say dash single letter and now you still don't have help you still don't have tab completion and you've only got one switch that's all you've done and to get this really correct it gets to be just an unfolding problem it can it goes very deep right um and having done it not particularly well a couple of times, system command line um, built on previous work that got some of the technical things right, but was extremely difficult to use. And so system command line came along, and that's been something we spent a lot of time on, and then I'm focusing on is making it one step easier as well. So mm-hmm. that's that's where we, we start from. Yeah, it's a interesting. It's one of those problems you always need. You never want to think about and we think should just be baked in. For well, and, and I always just solve it poorly. Right. I just make a yeah. terrible experience for the user. That's my solution. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what happens. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. so this is much better. Our mission statement, and I won't get this worded exactly right, but is to create a fantastic experience for the end user, the person using your tool to give them a fantastic experience without you having to work very hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a, I'm a, when we looked at rewriting the parser for the .NET CLI originally a few years back, because we had, I think, four different command line parsers that were used internally across various projects, and they were all inconsistent with one another in different ways, and there were actually two different parsers, both within the .NET CLI itself. And one of them would hand off to the other when you moved from the first level of subcommands to the next level. And it, so it was, it was kind of chaos. Um, and so we started thinking really about user experience and where we wanted to get to, and we evaluated a ton of parsers because there's so many, and a lot of them are really fantastic community projects that are out there. And we we said, can, is there one that we can that we can use for this? And one of the big things that we hit into was this user experience question, where a lot of a lot of libraries that we saw are built for, you know, they're built with a certain set of developer uh, experience goals. And so you'll see different styles of code, you'll see things that are pleasing to developers. But it was really hard to find something that addressed this broad variety of user expectations. And that became particularly key for .NET Core because we have Windows users and we have Linux and Mac users all coming together around a single set of command line tools. And those two, you know, those two kind of broadly diverse ecosystems were not satisfied by any one parser we could find. So that you could say, okay, we can do think we can do what Windows command line users are used to. We can do what Linux command line users are used to. And so we have these, you know, Windows switches. 
case sensitivity versus non-case sensitivity, PowerShell users in there, right? And then all the new POSIX users as well. And so satisfying all of that, and then also saying, you know, what is the next level of user experience that would be nice to have? Can we do tab completion for everybody? Can we do, um, you know, things like uh, response files, right? Nice help. Can we make it localizable? And these are all things mm. that this is this extra layer of, of complexity that most developers don't want to take the time to mm -hmm. do, right? They, they just want to make a tool that works. And so the user experience focus was kind of a driving goal of this project over time. Um, we, we didn't... Um, we didn't have a sort of director level top down, hey, go build a command line parser uh, mission that was handed out to us, which is why this has been gestating for so long. Um, we've had a huge amount of support from community from the very outset, including in the design of it. And so it's kind of a different project than most in that way, too. Definitely. Yeah. So, yeah. You go, Kathleen. No, I was going to say, I just want to agree with, with what John said. And, and it's been, uh, it has been a long ride. And one of the things that is, because it's, it's surprising is after this long, we actually still are in preview. And the reason is that we had this 800 pound gorilla hanging out there, which is when we actually put system command line into the CLI because it was separately developed. And it was initially um, all of the all of the tools I'm aware of um, inside of Microsoft for .NET tools and many, many outside have used it. So it's heavily used, been very successful. However, we knew that when the CLI came along and they put it in, if they said, oh, we need you to change this. We would change it, and we didn't want to break people. Mm. And so, for us, the mark of taking preview off is we are done with we we are done with the API changes we currently expect, and not promising there'll never be another one, but we'll work hard uh, not to. And so, it's very very stable, and it's been used quite extensively, but it's not. Uh, we haven't taken the preview flag off because of that. But it's in now. It's in the CLI now. It's in nightly builds. Um, or it's going to be in nightly builds where where I think that's checked in now, uh, but that work's been going on in the last couple of weeks, and it actually has gone very very well. And it's this huge parser replacement uh, because it's one of the most complex parsers anybody's going to run across. And we did the switch out um, with a uh, with a dev uh, taking uh, a little you know a couple of weeks for that something to get it all right. And uh, we're very pleased the work is done. And I think it's in nightly builds now. If it's not, it's very very close. All right. So you know as you know, I look at the documentation for this. There very quickly gets to be some terminology. I think that might be helpful to just get out of the way. So, uh, when you think of a CLI, you know, you think of like you start typing something, and then you know, at the end, you want things to come out. So I see commands, but then there's different kinds of commands: root commands, subcommands. Um, you mentioned options, aliases. You know, what are these? How do they relate to each other and how do they relate with how I design, you know, what I want people to actually type in to execute something? Yep. Uh, so the, I'll just, I'll go through them. The, the, so the, the, the concept of a root command is something that's also known as arg zero in some parsers, right? It is effectively, it's a stand in for the name of your executable itself, which also might be an alias that you have in your shell, right? So we try to recognize that. So if your tool is called, you know, uh, my app, Mm -hmm. or .NET, say, right? Uh, for .NET, .NET is the root command. It may or may not have an action associated with it, and you may alias it, and we still need to be able to recognize it when it comes into the parser as saying, this is the root command, so that everything that comes after it, we can sort of say, oh, we know what the next token and the next token and the next token, what, what do these things mean? So a subcommand is anything that's underneath that in the hierarchy. It's something that, you know, uh, uh, .NET build, build is a subcommand. Um, an option is something that, typically is prefixed, although we don't have a, a requirement that you have a prefix for your options. 
Um, but what those are, and another word for ver- for uh, subcommands is typically verbs, right? A lot of command line tools have have the notion of verbs. It's a subcommand and a verb are equivalent. Um, so an option is something, you know, in, in Windows world, it might be slash P, right? Slash P equals argument. The argument is a value passed to an option or a command. Um, if I do .NET build some project name, that project name is an argument, right? That doesn't have an option to it. So those, those are kind of the, the different... Uh, ideas there. An option can have different kinds of prefixes. It's not required to. So in the GNU POSIX world, you, you'll have dash dash something as an option or dash something as an option. And when you have two different names for the same option or command, those are aliases, right? Meaning they're, they're, they, uh, you know, the, their textual representation on the command line is different, but they are functionally equivalent. And then, oh, go ahead, Carl. Yeah. So, you know, with that, you know, it, it sounds like there's like certain patterns that just the way that these are kind of structured, you know, um, like the noun verb pattern um, and, and, and stuff like that. Is that um, kind of recommended or is that just something that is easy to do? But if you don't want to, you can kind of program around that. But we're working. You can you can do it how you want to. And system command lines designed to put power in the hands of the programmer, too. So you can decide you want to be Windows. We actually don't really recommend that in the .NET world. We definitely recommend POSIX, and we focus a lot on that. Right now, we're working on some um, a set of CLI guidelines. I'm working with a couple of other people to get those um, developed, and we have some, but they're out of date. Uh, I, I'm not crazy about the noun-verb um, conversation, but I do realize that it's helpful. Uh, I think more in terms of areas. So if you come into .NET, you have the area of .NET, that's your entry point. And then you might be going into tools, which is an area. So it's a space, but tool is not itself a an action. It's not a verb, which is why we use subcommand. Technically, it's a subcommand, but it doesn't do anything. And then following that, you have install or uninstall or list or search. You've got these different verbs that appear at that location. So when you have a string of of things that need to be nested inside each other. And I suggest that people draw out two things when they're designing the CLI. One is a tree of what their actions need to look like and focusing on the terminal point being verbs. So when I say .NET tool install, its terminal point is, is a verb, it's the word install. But if I just said install everywhere, it would be crazy. Um, so we're, uh, so .NET to install, then, you know, figure out what your, your verbs are and then write up your help because help is what you will and write up your help is where you want it to be three to five years from now, because that tells you what your options and arguments are. That's going to say, what do I need to know about install? What do I need to know um, in terms of something like pack? How do I decide what project I'm working on? Uh, one of the things that we're, that the .NET CLI has evolved as have all CLIs that I know of. And it is imperfect, and we're going to be working on trying to do some tweaks to it. Um, but there's very little we can do without breaking changes. So no CLI that I'm aware of is perfect. Um, the best are at 80% and the worst, and I, I won't say who's the worst because I get people <laughs> mad at me, but the worst is probably at about 20 or 30% consistency. It's really bad. But you use it every day, and you're happy with it. So you know you may or may not really love it, but you know that's, there's some CLIs people use a lot that are really bad, and so you want yours not to be bad because people don't use it every day, and that intuitive. What do I do? .NET tool install makes sense. Mm-hmm. .NET um, uh, we have something. Uh, we have tools. We have some other things. We're working on .NET. Uh, you know some other things that you can install. 
uh, .NET list works at a couple of different places. Uh, so that's the that's the shape, uh, the basic shape of the CLI, uh, in my view. Okay, I'm just curious, like. You know, whenever I think about writing command lines, like some of the hassles are around like th- quoting things, you know, for paths and then yeah. also like the direction of the, you know, forward slash backslash. Do you do anything to help out there? Yeah. So some some of that stuff, some of that confusion starts at the shell and we can't necessarily fix it because right. by the time it gets past your application, you don't know that it happened. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that, that we have there is we have our, our tokenizer. And this kind of goes back to one of one of the opinions that we had early on was to make it easy to just use the parse results and not actually go through to inv- invocation, which was a, this was always a problem for testing in the original .NET uh, CLI internally, was you couldn't verify the, that you had the correct syntax coming in without actually going and spinning off MS build or something like this, right? So we mm-hmm. said, we'll create a separation here and, we, and create a model for just understanding what's on the command line in the first place. And so the tokenizer APIs are actually part of system command line and you can call them directly with just a string. And we will guarantee you, to the best of our ability, that how you how we parse that string into tokens will be the same that will happen when your command is invoked. So main and .NET, you have you have a method which takes in an arg, uh, you know an array of strings, right? That tokenization that splits the original command line, including your arg zero, right? .NET or .NET exe or you know C program files something something .NET exe or DN because I might have aliased that. All those things are arg zero. Mm. We'll take that. So you could say, you know, C program files, .NET XE, build some path, right? We will detokenize that for you so that you can see what your command line is going to look like, look like when the application is actually parsing. So now you can test that. And so we do all of our testing against complete command line strings, and these often include quotes. And they include all these weird cases where quotes get, you know, uh, cause arguments to be accidentally concatenated or truncated in mm-hmm. unexpected ways. So, so yeah, the test... The testing story is very geared towards trying to guarantee that you are aware of these edge cases and, and can find them and verify that you're that we're okay. going to do the right thing. Yeah, it'd be kind of neat if the tool, uh, if the tool, if you could put in for for each of those parameters that you're passing in, you could say, "Hey, I'm expecting a path," and maybe you do this, right? but "Hey, I'm expecting a path" or "I'm expecting a file here," and mm-hmm. so you could tell it that so it is a little bit yes. smarter about it, and then you could also add in like, "Hey, verify that it's valid." You know, I'm mm-hmm. looking for something that already exists. Do you, do you have that functionality, or is that something you've thought about? Yeah, so we have a whole system for that. I mean, the mm-hmm. I mean, people who are familiar with ASP.NET Core, ASP.NET MVC, right? Mm-hmm. They they're familiar with model binding, mm-hmm. and so we have the same concept in done in the in system command line. And so when I declare an option or an argument, I can there are generic variants. I can say option of T or argument of T. So I can say, you know, this option is an option of an array of file infos. Mm. Right. And I can specify what level of validation I want for that as well. I can say, oh, the file must exist on disk, for example. Or maybe I don't care, right? Because maybe I'm going to create a new file. So as long as it's a valid file path, that's good. And so at the time that your command handler gets invoked, we're going to bind all these things for you. Um, and, we'll, you know, based on the, you know, whether it was a file info or an array of file infos, that will drive what validation logic happens oh, okay. when you parse your command line. Okay, that's really cool. Okay, that's awesome. I like that. That's a good approach. It's it's hopefully intuitive. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's one of these places where we have tried to be opinionated enough, but not drive people to right. architect something in a way that they don't want to. Yeah, that's that's always been a fine line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I I kind of want to go back a little bit to something that Kathleen said. You know that you know a good help is very important. So you know if I've gone out and you know I've kind of 
done some of those things that Kathleen mentioned, like I've, I've designed what the CLI tree is going to look like and I have it mapped out. Now I've implemented it. Is there anything that you do to help make this, those help, um, you know, things, or do I have to go through and create additional commands that does that dash help or dash age? No, that's one of the things we're super proud of is that um, we have a description attached to everything that would ever show up in help. And if you enter a description, so you create a command uh, object or you create an option and you add the, you, you supply to the property description what you want your description to be, then your user has help. That's all you have to do. So the help is a kind of a standardized shape. We need to do work on it. It's one of the areas that um, there's space we can grow in, uh, but that's just because I want that to be absolutely gorgeous. I want it to be able to have, you know, uh, look like a table. You know, I want it to be able to wrap correctly. There's a, you know, I want it to have the options available to you, except if there's too many to be smart. You know, there's just kind of an unrolling set of things to make help as good as it can be. It's, it's going to go on for quite a while, I think. Um, but you don't have to do anything to get that. Now, if you want to customize it, you can. Uh, and we're still working a bit on the localization story because the localization story for inside the CLI is dependent on some Microsoft things. Uh, and we also want to have an easier story for people that are doing their own and want to localize because one of the things that is a personal goal of mine is that we make it easier for people to localize their help, particularly if you have people that are using your tool and your tool is open source, and you have people that speak a language that isn't your first language that are using your tool to make it extremely easy for them to come in and go, oh, this is a cool tool I use. Let me let me go ahead and localize it for you. And they can just give you the the um, the words in their in the language they know. And we don't have that right now. We don't have a way to have one of the ways open source can be contributed to to be contribute that language that I don't know that somebody else knows and come into my tool and help me to localize. And we hope to have that in the future. We don't have that today. We have lots of system command line. It's just this ever, it's, it's a growing space. We, we feel like we're really good where we are right now. And then we go, oh, but we could do. And there's always the we could do thing. And that's some of the stuff mm -hmm. there. But, you know, help is something that's, we can, we've had that, like that was one of the first bars we had to hit in order to feel like we were uh, we were getting, getting there. So, yeah, we've got that. Okay. You don't do a thing. In fact, you have to, the only thing you have to do is that we have a, um, there's a, there's a pipeline is the way system command line actually executes. And you can put things into the, into that pipeline that you want to happen at different points in the, uh, in the cycle. And John can talk more about this, but we have a default set and the default set includes a couple of key things, including response files, including help. Uh, and John could probably remember what all eight or something of them that there are. But those things happen by you just saying you want the defaults or just taking the defaults. If you want to customize that, then you do a little bit more work. Uh, and then you you might have to say, oh, yes, and also include help, use help. Um, and so you, that's the way that that gets actually uh, piped in. Okay. Um, I have maybe like a really basic question. How do I use this? Like the, um, I think there's, it looks like there's a NuGet. Um, but you also mentioned, like, I don't know if that is this get included in .NET at some point or like what... How, how do I just get started with this thing? So we, it's a NuGet package, and we we may remain a NuGet package. You know, when I said baked mm -hmm. in, I, I guess I, I was speaking a little bit strongly there because 
the way we're thinking about the BCL these days is a little bit different than you might have in the .NET Framework timeframe. So we're seeing things that that we consider are critical to many users as being um, available on NuGet. So immutable array is one of those pieces that is you know, Microsoft developed and you know looked after, but it is sitting on NuGet and not actually sitting in the BCL. And this is a likely approach we're going to take. Um, we're still exploring things like uh, there's very exciting stuff going on with Microsoft right now with top-level programs and what does that actually mean and what is the right default experience for that. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't wouldn't rule out the possibility that some part of that path moves system command line. But as of today, we're using it as a NuGet package. We're using it internally. Uh, we have been using it internally for quite a while. Uh, and then, but putting it actually in the BCL, that may, that may not happen. And I, I'm fine if it doesn't happen because right. I want the BCL to be what's still really valid in 10 or 15 years. And I'm yep. really proud of system command line, but am I confident that it's going to be the right thing in 10 or 15 years? No, because shells will change. And if we look long enough that we're on a timeline where shells can change, then system command line may need to change. Yeah. So I'm fine with it being a NuGet package. And, and I like the... Different- I like the idea of the core being lean and mean and then just having it be more modular, you know? So yeah. if I never do something with a command line, like I just don't, I don't want that baggage. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So as we, you know, as I think about how uh, a command line application works, it's quite a bit different than many other kinds of applications uh, for, for a web app or a desktop app or a mobile app, you might have something that, you accumulate a lot of state and configuration over time. But in a CLI, I really like the tree analogy because when you enter in like a, especially a lengthy command, it's really focusing it down to one branch of that tree only. So with that kind of difference in mind, how do how should I think about uh, injecting configuration or injecting or utilizing state in a CLI? This is a, a complex, question, and the discussions around this have themselves gone down several different branches. Um, So one of the parsers that people are probably familiar with in a lot of cases is the um, Microsoft Extensions uh, configuration command line. Is that the one? Uh, Which is explicit. Its explicit goal is to take in some strings and parse them so that they get passed into the configuration subsystem, and then you spin up the app, right? And so this is something that it's useful for for configuration. It's not necessarily, you know, if you want the kind of the model binding and this invocation pipeline and help and things like this, that's not really what it's for. Um, so we kind of flipped that ordering around and we said, well, we're going to parse the input and then let you do whatever you want with it. It might be for configuration. It might also just be for the actual logic of your application. And then we 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 have had a bunch of people who had said, well, how do I put dependency injection? Right. So because the typical command line app, you want it to spin up and spin down as quickly as possible, you might not want to configure your dependencies for every single possible branch that you're going to go down, right? Every single subcommand might have wildly different dependencies. And in some cases, we even have different, very different lifestyles for those different branches, right? In some cases, you know, one subcommand might be go execute some logic and, and shut down. And another one might be spin up a web server. And they're living inside of the same CLI, right? So they have very different requirements in terms of speed and complexity. And this is something where we, we still don't have a strong opinion on which of these approaches you should take. You can take any of them, and all of them have been requested by various issues in GitHub. 
Yeah, yeah. So. We, we we think a lot about about this one, and we think about it also in relation to uh, hosts like uh, the generic host, mm-hmm. which is the evolution of the SP.NET uh, uh, web host, which is now generic host, and then there's a specialization for ASP.NET. Uh, we think about it in relation to that. Um, this is an area that um, I, I hope as we go away from preview, now that we've hit this big bar for us of being in the CLI, we have another big bar, which is separate of getting into um, uh, templates, which is actually a different parser. We have some other demands coming along from some of the Xamarin work, uh, and we have demands coming along from making sure that we work well with MS Build as it uh, has got some evolution that that has the uh, .NET build relate to MS build. We've got some things that we still need, um, we're still going to be evolving on, but at the same time, we really want to get into this broader space, which for us includes things like localization and, uh, and hosting in general and dependency injection and logging as the two key factors of what hosting means. So where we go with that right now, I think is a little bit vague. Uh, we definitely have to work with a lot of other folks um, inside of my, outside Microsoft in order to get those answers right. Um, and, and we're really looking forward uh, to some of that. It's like, you know, it's, it's kind of like kids ready to go to college now, you know, <laughs> but it's grown up enough. And now it's like, we, we, you know, we're ready to let it loose in the world and uh, find out how other people can help it to uh, expand and grow. So out in the repo, I, oh, go ahead, John. There's, there's an aspect of the conversation, the question that Carl just asked that I actually want to dig into just a little bit sure. further. Because command line parsers mean different things to different people. And this is where this kind of opinionation um, issue came from in one way, right? Is when you spin up an application, that's a very common use for a command line parser. But we had a couple of other cases in mind. And one of them is the testing thing that I mentioned before. And another one is completions, right? When you're, when you're supplying completions, what you're really doing, or, or parsing for testing purposes in a lot of cases, what you're really doing is you want to see the parse result, but you want to do something other than execute a command using that parse result, right? So we've made this analogy a number of times to Roslyn. Roslyn enabled all of this tooling that, that the, the older C-sharp compiler didn't, right? And we said, we want to be able to do something a little bit like that. We want to be able to support tooling scenarios that aren't directly related to just calling into your app and, and doing whatever your app's main purpose is. So, yeah, completions help, um, and then you know, even my in my what I call my my day job working on .NET Interactive, the magic commands in our uh, .NET Jupyter support are all supplied by system command line, but it's not a traditional command line use case at all, right? And we're leaning very heavily into the ability to do completions and explore the current state of your interactive programming session using system command line. Mm-hmm. So that's it, I, I like to kind of throw that in there because it's it's not a traditional space for command line parsers to be able to do those things. So when you do when you mention that, are you talking about the .NET suggest features? And if so, can you go down that that <laughs> path for us? Yeah, what .NET suggest is is a shim into that completion feature. The completion feature is available in the library. You can use it directly. And you can augment it and you can add different suggestions. You can say, well, you know, this command here has this argument and this argument has these suggestions. And one of the, the, the older versions of this that you can find, even in today's .NET CLI using the older parser, is the ability to suggest new get packages when you do .NET unpackage. Um, let me just let me just jump in for just a second, because we're using two words in this tar- in this course of this. Mm-hmm. We're not pulling them together for this conversation, which is tab completion and suggest are synonyms for us. So .NET suggest um, is is a way to get at what the tab completion would be if you were doing tab completion. Mm-hmm. So, J- John, let me give it back to you. I just wanted to make mm-hmm. sure that we when we say the word suggest and somebody's not yet connected it to tab completion, they're going to get a yeah. little lost. Yeah, got it. 
Um, so the typical way that you provide tab completion functionality is shell specific, right? Prior to prior to .NET or you know system command line, mm -hmm. you you have to add some piece of script into you know your PowerShell profile or your Bash profile or your Z shell profile or whatever it is. And these all have different syntax. They all have different rules. And none of them have a standard set of expectations around the way that they're going to provide completion. Some of them, it's purely a script. Some of them might call into a special command and some CLI tool, right? So what we wanted in system command line was because we, we had enough smarts built into the thing to parse your command line, including all these different variants for arc zero and these kinds of things, and say, I understand the syntax of your command line. Here's the completions that are available. And that allow people to write .NET code to augment that. I want to call off to new get and get completions for a, a package name. Things like this, whatever you can imagine. Um, we we also wanted a way to standardize the the integration with your shell. So that's what .NET suggests. Is. Okay, .NET so suggests. you so you do go and configure those various shells then, and just take care of all that for me. We provide you some scripts, and okay. you can ask .NET. Uh, you can ask any. So sorry, no, you can ask .NET suggest. Oh, okay. For those scripts. Okay. Uh, we don't have an auto install step yet, but we'll probably get there. It's people are very opinionated about their profiles, so we didn't want to go and just right, monkey right. with them. Okay. But yeah, we do try to provide those shims from. So then the, the, the profile, super cool. your your shell. Yeah, this is and this is very very hard space. Uh, but the ambition there is, and we have it working for PowerShell and Bash and Z shell is pretty straightforward. We haven't gotten to it yet, but it does okay. work in the .NET CLI. And okay. then that you have the shim that calls .NET suggest. That suggest calls your app, okay. and so again, the developer, it's a lot easier for them to reach this wider set of different uh, users. You only have to register once for all system command line applications. Previously, you had to register each application, mm. but you register once, which means if you register after .NET 6, if you register the .NET CLI, you are registered, and we'll be working on making that as automatic as possible to get that registration done for you. Now that we have a very, you know, we have millions of people that can use it as soon as we're in the, the now that we're in the CLI. So okay, that's just the remainder of that problem. Okay, so I've seen references to this dragon fruit. What what is dragon fruit? <laughs> I think John's gonna have to let me talk about that. <laughs> I want I want to explain dragon where it came from. Then okay, I'll talk about dragon fruit too. Sure. So the name is funny. Uh, we were experimenting with a bunch of different API styles during uh, during a hackathon that was hosted by IntelliTech out in Spokane. Um, and so we, we just had different fruit names for all of them. We weren't sure what to call them, so the code names were just fruits. And dragon fruit is one that stuck. And this came from this idea. We've, we've spent this whole time talking about parsers and model binding, right? And the, the, the end of the day, the thing that we sort of realized was people don't want a parser. They just want the arguments passed to them. So we said, what if we could change the way that main looks instead of it being string args? What if it was, um, you know, instead of an array of strings, what if it was all strongly typed, strongly named? And we just derive your command line interface from that. Mm. Uh, so that's where that came from. And this was kind of this brain flash that we had among the group of us. Um, and Nate McMaster went and wrote the prototype for Dragon Fruit right there on the spot. Uh, and we continued to evolve it over time. So that's basically what now, okay. at the same time, top-level commands have come along, and there is no main. So you can see this kind of experimentation. But Dragonfruit has been pretty popular because it's actually um, – it's it, it doesn't allow a lot of features, but it's very intuitive. And that's uh, that's why I think it's become somewhat of a somewhat of a favorite. Okay. So, so uh, the Dragonfruit 2, though, is, is work I'm doing. And this is still experimental. It's in my um, – it's not called Dragonfruit 2. It's called Starfruit 2. But um, that's just the history of uh, that it came to. But uh, and it's actually in my in my repo. If anyone wants to take a look at it, and right now it's still 
really it, it's it's not even checked into Maine very well yet. But that's getting super close. Should be there by this weekend. Um, but basically, Dragon Fruit does not allow you to do subcommands right now, and that is a big problem. And also, Dragon Fruit runs into these issues around uh, since it's based on changing uh, your build. Um, it's based on you know some old style ways of doing things. Uh, now that we have source uh, generators uh, for um, going forward for C Sharp 9, now we're able to do, so, and in the future, I'll just let a little thing slip here, and for VB uh, in the future. Mm-hmm. So um, once we've got, um, once we have source generators, then what we're able to do is we're able to look at it, a way you can express the data you want. Again, we think programmers of the care about the results they don't care how they got there they care one day when they're trying to make it nice for their user but every day they care about how they're getting that data in and so if we have a way such as give us a class you can imagine this is just giving um having a special class you own uh being given to your submain that's the easiest way to think about it it may express itself in other ways but it's the first way to think about it and then we can take that class you've given us and break it down and understand it with Rosalind techniques, and then output it as a source generator so that all of the system command line things, you never have to know anything about system command line in order to be able to use system command line. So um, similar to Dragon Fruit, where you can put just just basic you know types and file info and things like that into your arguments, now you can add uh, classes in there which are interpreted as subcommands. And you can get as complicated as you want. And because it's source generation, you don't have a hit. Um, the problem basically is that I'm a generation geek. And so when I got into this problem, I, I worked on bits and pieces of it, got it all arranged. And then I'm going, I care a lot about this generator. I really want this generator to be good. And I want to be able to show people what I think we're capable of with source generators. And so I have been spent a lot of time making the source generator one I'm happy with. And so right now that work is kind of tying up uh, and I'll be spending tomorrow. Um, I'm taking the day off to work on it. So what do I do on vacation? During the <laughs> uh, so I'm hoping that, uh, that by the end of this weekend, it's going to be checked into Maine where people can, uh, can hopefully help me with it because I could really use some help. Anyone that's interested in source generators, interested in Rosalind, interested in system command line, reach out. I can definitely use the help. As we are thinking about some of these more complex scenarios, I think of like a complex CLI like AZ the Azure uh, command line. And that I can only imagine has been written by many, many different teams, pretty much probably one for each uh, project. So if I have a CLI that's either going to be that big, or maybe I want to open it up to a third party to write part of my CLI, is there a way that I can uh, write extensions or compartmentalize via some sort of assembly where I can load that dynamically and get new functionality into my CLI? Uh I will tell you we're working on that. We need it for templates. And we, we will probably need it for parts of optional workloads. Uh, we anticipate this being part of our future. Um, we, we know it will absolutely be part of our future for templates. We already have a very bad parser there that limits our syntax to some really crappy stuff. And so we know we will solve that problem. It is not solved today. Okay. That's and Don can see that the technical stuff he can solve because I'm doing the, the structural stuff and he'll do the, the, the technical stuff. So, yeah. I will say that there's nothing there that we're that we're doing that would stop you from doing that. But yeah, we, it's not something that we're explicitly solving for people either. Okay. So if if I want to do that today, I have to solve that my own instead of getting assistance from this uh, namespace. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you could do some kind of plug-in model and go looking for you know something that adds commands, and you could just add them to your parse tree. 
and build the parse tree. And then, yeah, it still makes it a lot easier. Yeah, it still saves you a lot of time for sure. But that should, we will have guidelines for that in the future um, because people will need to do that. Um, We expect people to do that in a couple scenarios going forward. Okay. Cool. So, uh, Kathleen, where can people find you? They can find me. uh, Twitter's a great place. Uh, Kathleen Dollard on Twitter. Great place to reach out. Um, and uh, right now, pretty much, that's the that's kind of the best place right now. Okay. John. Oh. Okay. Cool. Okay. John, where can people find you? Uh, I am also on Twitter uh, at J-O-N, at John Sequitur, J-O-N-S-E-Q-U-I-T-U-R. Okay. And we'll have links to those in the show notes. And Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash ytechie. So John and Kathleen, thank you so much for coming on here talking about Command Line. Very, very cool project. Thanks. Thanks. Been fun.